0: to our series in the book of Acts this morning, I couldn't be happier. Dr. James Clark is a geologist. A few years after the Soviet Union broke apart and communism was crumbling across Eastern Europe, he was asked to come and speak in a Russian Baptist church. The church had lived through a a long season of, of suffering and persecution. Some in the congregation had been imprisoned because they followed Jesus, and that was considered uh, opposition to the state. Others had husbands or relatives that had been uh, in prison, who had suffered, who had been beaten. Some had even been killed. So Dr. Clark decided to use an illustration from his, his background, from his profession of geology. He used an illustration in his sermon, and he said, clay is actually composed of many microscopic clay mineral crystals, which even a light microscope cannot see. They are so tiny. But under pressure, the clay minerals are not crushed or made smaller. They actually grow larger under pressure. And when you apply even more pressure, the minerals become larger still, and some of them are actually transformed into semi-precious gems. So Dr. Clark said in his article, I explained to the congregation that this geological process illustrates how pressure and suffering can be used by God to refine and, and purify and mold a person into a, a more beautiful soul. And then he said, I will never forget looking out on the congregation It seemed like the whole congregation was sparkling. The babushka's eyes, the old women's eyes were glistening with tears as they remembered the suffering of an era gone by. Pressure and suffering can be used by God to mold and shape our lives and to make us more beautiful people. It really can have that effect. Acts chapter 12 is set in the context of persecution. Again, the early church. And this chapter opens with an honest account of the absence of strength in God's people. Every once in a while we feel weaker than we are, right? Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James So to understand the persecution that we read about in this text, we really need to understand a little bit more about King Herod. King Herod came from a long line of murderers, bloodthirsty murderers. His father, Aristobulus, was actually murdered by his father, Herod the Great who actually was the same Herod who ordered the massacre of the innocents, all of the innocent children, the boys, about the time of Jesus' birth. So this guy's got a bloodstained past. He's got blood on his hands. This King Herod is the one we're talking about in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. It tells us that he's the one who killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the the Jews, he, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This, this guy is a, is, a, is a preeminent politician. He's a politician first. When he's with the Romans, he does what pleases the Romans. We, when he's with the Jews, he does what pleases the Jews. You know, his, butter, his, his bread is buttered on both sides. Just trying to make everybody happy. And so to please the Jews, he killed James because James was stirring up all kinds of trouble in Jerusalem talking about Jesus. Jesus. Let's get rid of this guy. Put him to death by the sword. And when he saw that that made the Jews happy, he also arrested Peter. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So God's people, the believers, seemed utterly helpless at this point. They seemed utterly powerless in this grim situation. All they could do was pray. Can you imagine that? All they could do was pray. The beleaguered church in Jerusalem seemed overwhelmed and, and helpless. They, they really didn't know what to do. There was nothing they could do. How, how, do you, how do you stand against King Herod, who's got blood on his hands for generations? Nobody wants to go up against him. Their apparent weakness was underlined by the fact that all they could do was pray. I mean, does anything look more ridiculous than a ragtag bag of believers on their knees in some room somewhere praying to a God they can't see? I mean, this is the epitome of weakness. To those outside the family of God, this is terminal weakness. Prayer can't change anything. It's just words. Get up off your knees and do something. Take up arms. Nevertheless, God's people just continued to pray. And rightly so. Sometimes I feel completely and totally overwhelmed by the pressure in my life. Do you? There are those seasons, there are those times when we take on a new position at work, and all of a sudden, "Ah!" I mean, and then we hear about cancer, unemployment, sexual abuse, rejection by a spouse. a a rebellious teenager who at 15 gets pregnant, Uh, drug addiction, drug overdose. I mean, the pressure, the pressure that some of our people live under is overwhelming. And all we can do is pray. Verse 5 says the church was praying earnestly. Okay? If If you are an underliner or a highlighter, mark that word. Earnestly. The word translated earnest means to, to stretch or to strain. So you've got, you got this picture of these people praying. They're, they're straining, they're stretching, they're agonizing in prayer. Peter's in prison, they're praying for him. Are you praying earnestly about anything? What are you praying about? Are you praying, Are you stretching in prayer are you praying for the salvation of your, your family members who don't know Jesus yet? Your neighbors, your colleagues, your, your, your workmates? Are you praying for anything fervently, earnestly, without ceasing? There's nothing you can do about this situation or, or that situation. All you can do is, is pray. You feel completely overwhelmed and weak. But maybe God is calling you to pray. There's nothing you can do about something. Nothing you can do... You can't maneuver, manipulate, or manage, but you can pray. Maybe God is calling you to pray about whatever it is you're facing. Pray earnestly. Stretch. Strain. Agonize in prayer. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do. Well, the absence of strength in God's people soon gives way to the display of strength in God's people. This Jewish feast called Passover was complete, and uh, Herod wasn't stupid enough to try and do something to Peter during Passover, during this high feast of Passover. So he waits until after Passover and says, okay, now let's, let's do it, boys. He gets his staff together and, and, and goes after Peter, the victim of their kangaroo court. And verse 6 begins the description of that final night. Acts 12, 6. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, get the picture, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So he's probably got a a guard on either side. And in addition to that, there's sentries at the door guarding the prison. Peter's sleeping. So soundly, in fact, the, the scripture says that the The uh, the angel had to strike him on the side. We'll see that in a minute. His his restlessness, I mean restfulness. His restfulness is an indicator that he's completely at peace with God, and he's completely at peace with the situation, and with himself. He's not sleepless. He's full of sleep. I mean, guys sleeping. He probably snoring, sawn the logs between these uh, Roman guards because for him, whatever happens, happens. You know. Peter and the Apostle Paul were were of similar mind. To to live is is Christ, to die is gain. You know, whatever happens, happens. I'm good with that. He doesn't seem to be worried at all. Then verse 7. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. That's how soundly he was sleeping. And woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. Verse 8. The angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals and he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. I mean, <laughs> I can only imagine what this scene actually looked like. You know, Peter's sound asleep. I mean, sound asleep. Uh, we're not real sound sleepers at, at, at our house, but every once in a while, you know, Patty needs to shake me awake. You know, it's not very often that it happens. It's like, And you know how that is. It's like, what? What's going on? What? I remember when Nathan was just a little baby, I, I was so determined. I'm, I'm going to get up. I'm going to be the best husband that ever lived on the planet. And I'm going, to get up with, I'm going to get up with my baby boy when he cries. We just got home from the hospital. Patty's mom was there. You know, it was a great big sub. I'm going to get up. I'm going to show these girls that I can do this. I'm, I'm the best dad that God ever put on the planet. And so the next morning you know sometime in the middle of the night it's like i can hear him crying I, I'm, I get up okay okay what do i do where's the where's the diaper they said go back to bed we're already finished <laughs> but i i can only imagine what this looked like you know peter gets up he's got sandals on the wrong feet his tunic is hanging loosely his hair's uncombed he needed his morning coffee but there was no time for that Dazed at first, he wasn't sure what was happening, but verse nine says, he went out and followed him, the angel. He did not know what was being done by the angel he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was dreaming. Verse 10, when they'd passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, when he, when he finally realized it wasn't a dream, wasn't a vision, this was real, he said to himself, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Hello? The gate opened of its own accord? This is a miraculous deliverance by God himself and what a testimony it is to all of the people since then who have been able to to read that account of its own accord the gate opens and out they go I mean sleepy or not I think by this time Peter's got goosebumps on both arms and both legs I mean he is all of a sudden at full attention God is up to something God is at work here And, and then poof the angel's gone There stood Peter in the streets of of Jerusalem, you know, rubbing both eyes, trying to, you know, get fully awake. My friends, this beleaguered group of Christians in Jerusalem had more power at their disposal than all the armies of Herod and Rome put together. And it was through this tool, this simple tool called prayer. The legions of Rome barred the door, but it took only one of God's secret agents to liberate the captive. Peter was reminded in that very moment of the power of God. He was convinced the Lord had rescued him. And he gives credit to the Lord, not to the angel. He switches the focus. He doesn't say, the the angel delivered me. The angel set me free. It's the Lord who set me free. He knew who was behind it all. God may use secret agents here, there, and everywhere, but he's the one who's behind it. Jesus is the only one who can set us free. Jesus is the only one who brings freedom to the captives. Jesus is the only one who can fill us with his spirit of hope and peace and joy. Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. We just sang about it this morning. God was pleased to display his power and his strength through through prayer in the lives of his people. He was pleased to display his power and strength through prayer in the lives of his people. And not much has changed in nearly 2,000 years no matter how grim life might appear to you today my friends God and His angels stand at the ready to deliver you it's true and God the Father can deliver us any time He chooses do you believe that? so let's talk about the next section verses 12 through 17 and the source of strength in God's people We've already touched on this, but Peter had been delivered from prison by an angel. Uh, he knew that some of his squad was, was gathered together at John Mark's house, and he knew exactly what they'd be doing. He, they'd, they'd be praying for him. Verse 12 says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Now, some of them were probably praying that, that Peter would be courageous in the face of death. Because they thought he was toast. Herod had already killed James. And now Peter's in prison. He's next, right? So they're praying that he would be strong and courageous in the face of death. Others were probably praying that he'd have an effective and powerful witness to the guards and all the fellow prisoners who might be in the, in the prison. And undoubtedly, there were a few people who were praying, Oh God, would you please deliver Peter? Just like you delivered Daniel from the mouth of the lions, would you please deliver him from the mouth of that prison? So they were praying, and Peter knocks at the door. Verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Got the picture? Verse 14, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter's standing at the gate. We don't know what time of night it was, or what, you know, but here they are praying, 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 praying for Peter's release. He's standing at the door. She goes, oh, it's Peter. And she runs back in, leaves him standing there. Verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. Get back in here and pray. we got to pray for Peter's release. Come on, join the prayer circle again. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, oh, it's, it's probably his angel. It's his angel. Get in here. You have a responsibility to pray. It's your turn. Verse 16, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. I guess so. You know, it doesn't say this, but I, I, I could well imagine they were feeling a little, a little guilty, a little chagrin at the fact that they've been praying for his release, and all of a sudden there he is, and like, whoa! They're totally surprised. Rhoda's not easily intimidated. Are you? She knew that what she was saying was the truth nobody's going to intimidate her even when they say you're out of your mind no I'm not it's Peter so when your colleagues at work say you're out of your mind say no I know Jesus is true he's the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him don't be intimidated the others thought she was crazy but she insisted Peter was at the door we're a lot like those people aren't we aren't we I mean, we fervently pray for the conversion of a family member or a neighbor or someone who's recently coming to our church. And when they get saved, we go, oh, can you believe it? They trusted Jesus. That's a miracle. No, it isn't. It's just the way God works. That's what God wants. That's his perfect will. We pray fervently for people to come to our church and get involved and start serving and, and start giving and start growing in their faith. And when they do, we go, wow, isn't God amazing? I mean, this is crazy. God is really working. Well, what did you expect? That's what we were praying for. So we're, we're really just like that circle in the, you know, who going, oh, you're out of your mind. Get back in here. We're praying. Peter reminds the gathering of people that Jesus is enough. Jesus is completely sufficient and totally adequate to meet every need of our lives. Verse 17. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent. I'm probably, they're all going, can you believe it? Peter's out of prison. There he is. Like, is that really him? Yeah. He describes to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. How the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Not the angel, but the Lord. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed went to another place. I got more work to do, boys. See you later. And off he goes. Some lives were changed that night in in, in the church in Jerusalem because they were reacquainted with the power and majesty and glory of God himself. And brothers and sisters, that's what this city needs. We don't need more church. We need more Jesus. We need to understand that He is all-powerful. He is sufficient. That He is the way, the truth, and the life. We don't need gimmicks, and we don't need uh, more programs. We need Jesus. He's enough. He's adequate. Peter reminded them that the source of their power was and is the Lord Jesus. The Lord had brought him out of prison. He's our source of power and strength and freedom and might and joy and peace. Regardless of the circumstances, my friends... Everything from a a sliver under your fingernail to stage four cancer. Whatever the circumstances, God can deliver us anytime he chooses. It's life-changing to pray fervently. It's life-changing to pray earnestly and stretch and agonize in prayer and then see God work. But we're seeing it happen here. We're seeing it happen. Elizabeth Elliot once wrote, God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. All over this audience right now, people are knowingly nodding their heads. God will not protect you from anything that will make you more like Jesus. He's more interested in us conforming to the image of his son than he is having us comfortable. Or even happy, if I dare say it that way. God often chooses difficult circumstances to shape and mold us, doesn't he? often he does. So pray fervently. Trust God. Ask him to deliver you. And do not quit. Pray earnestly. That means you don't quit. Don't give up. It's always too soon to quit. Scott Hamilton is an Olympic men's figure skating champion. He's also a committed follower of Jesus. And in an interview earlier this year, Scott Hamilton said, I calculated once how many times I fell on the ice during my career. 41,600 times. Funny thing is, he said, I got up 41,600 times. You can't quit. You can't quit. No matter how tough it is, no matter how bad it gets, you, you can't quit. You need to keep stretching in prayer because that's, that's the source of power that's the ignition switch and heaven pours out the Holy Spirit into your life and all of a sudden you are ready for the next day get up some of you may have fallen along the way maybe it was last year or last month or last night you've, you, you've fallen somewhere It's get up get up Wherever you are, whatever has happened, whatever circumstance of life you're in, get up and pray and trust God and ask him to deliver you and leave the results with him. Because our father knows exactly what we need and when we need it and where. So we do what we need to do and we leave the rest with God. Lord, you know what's best. You deliver me when you need to or when you want to because I know that you will not necessarily protect me from anything that makes me more like Jesus. So if this is making me more like Jesus, if this trial is accomplishing your will, bring it on. I'm ready. I'm ready. Romans 8.31. Say it with me. If God is for us, who can be against us? Ain't that the truth? I mean, if God is for us, it doesn't matter what happens. Bring it on. I'm ready. God is for me. God is with me. I'm ready to stand against anything. Right? Right? God's grace is sufficient for you, for God's power is made perfect in your weakness and my weakness. I don't know why our Father has chosen to do that, but He has. He uses weak people like us to display His strength and His glory. Hallelujah. Thank you. And I know that He's got an awful lot of raw material to work with in me. Lord, I got all the weakness you need to make your strength and your glory awesome in the sight of men and women. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, today we're holding on to your promises. If God is for us, who can be against us? Lord, you're faithful, and your grace is sufficient. You are faithful, Lord, and your, your, your power is made perfect in our weakness. And Father, today... We come to you on bended knee, asking you to deliver us, deliver our brothers and sisters from the prisons, physical, financial, emotional, financial. Deliver us from the prisons that still hold us back. We want to be set free. We need to be set free, and you're the only one that can do it, Lord. Reveal your power and your glory from heaven, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.